everyone. Welcome back to Talk a Mile in Our Shoes. My name is Andy Shrey. My name is J.D. Otska. And today we will be talking about disability in the media, specifically disability in like movies and TV. I hope you guys are ready because I think it's going to be pretty fun. We're going to have a good time. Before we get into that though, Andy just said she had an awkward disability story that happened to her recently. Do you care to share? I would love to share. So I was at work and there were only a couple of other people. It's like summer. So a lot of people are on vacation. There were only a couple other people in the office with me. And one of them was like, I'm going to run to Starbucks real quick and I'm going to get myself a drink. And then the other person who's working there drink, do you want anything? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm okay. Because I can't have caffeine at all. So a lot of the stuff at a Starbucks has caffeine in it and it's not worth being like, do they have like an herbal chamomile (laughs) or peppermint? Like it's just not worth it. So I just said, no, thank you. I'm good. So they run and they come back and they have three drinks in their carrier and they set it down on my desk and they're like, this one's for me. And my other coworker was there and they were like, this one's for me. And then the one who made the run says, and then this one's just, if anybody wants it, it's like green tea, ginger drink. And I didn't say anything. I just sat there and my other coworker was like, well, I already have this drink, so I don't think I need that one. It was clearly implied that yes, it was supposed it was, to be yours. Yes, very, very much so. And I had to break the silence and say, yeah, I can't have caffeine, so I actually can't, can't have that. And his face... Oh my God. It just absolutely fell. I felt so, so bad. Cause like people will try and do things to be nice mm-hmm. and not realizing that we say no to things purposefully, not just cause yeah. like, no, I don't want you to have to go through the trouble. No, really like I can't have what you got me. And now I feel really embarrassed and you're embarrassed or we're just looking at each other. So embarrassed. And this is how it's, we're going to start our day today. It's so awkward. And do you agree that nine times out of 10 when that situation happens and then you tell the other person like oh no I'm sorry I can't have caffeine because of this this and this the people are like oh I'm so sorry I should have known that and like no you should not have why would you know that yes yes exactly exactly funnily enough the caffeine thing comes up all the time I think we drink a lot of caffeine in America Mm -hmm. we must because it comes all the time it comes up a lot and there's also caffeine in weird shit that you don't realize has caffeine in it Mm -hmm. So that's my story. It's not the worst, but I felt bad. I felt so bad. And I'm going to have to see them on Monday. And I think they're still going to remember it. And I think it's going to be uncomfortable. All right, let's do this. Let's talk about representation. Representation of disabled people in the media. The World Health Organization says that there are 1.3 billion disabled people in the world, which is 15% of the entire population of the world. Do you think in anything you've watched recently, 15% of the people there were disabled? Was even 1%? of the people in that media disabled? No. And then to further that, if there was 1% in real life, they are not disabled. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so interesting that like so many people are disabled, but it's still, if you see a disabled person on TV, they've always got to make a thing about it. I know nobody talks about Glee anymore, <laughs> but they had a character in a wheelchair. Oh my God. Artie? No, I literally can't I never remember. Watched Glee, so I cannot tell you. But they brought it up all the time. And I'm like, just let that little boy be disabled, okay? <laughs> Let him be in his wheelchair and stop calling him handicapable. Just stop. <laughs> Damn it. 
But it was also great that there was like any representation at all. So I like appreciated that. But that was like years ago. And it's also like this whole thing, like in a show like Glee that focuses on singing. It's like he's in a wheelchair, but he could still sing. There's plenty of people in wheelchairs that could sing. (laughs) Right? Yes. Like being in a wheelchair does not preclude you from being able to sing. It precludes you from some other stuff, but not singing. (laughs) They really did go out of their way to make like all the choreography like you can do it in a wheelchair because his character is in a wheelchair and he's still in the show choir. So one time though, they had this episode where everyone wanted to better understand his life experience. So they did a whole number with everybody in wheelchairs. Everybody in a wheelchair. Everyone in the choir. It was terrible. It was so terrible. I'm like, somebody approved this. Multiple people were like, this is a good idea. I don't know. Is that funny to you? You think that's funny? It's funny. (laughs) Okay. It's it's not like what they did isn't funny, but the fact that they found it okay is what's funny. Is what's funny. I think that people in wheelchairs are like really highly represented, like more Mm -hmm. so than other disabilities in media. I would agree with that. And I think it leads to a situation where when someone says, oh, they're disabled, it's like, oh, they're in a wheelchair. wheelchair. And people automatically assume Mm -hmm. that this character is paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah. If someone were to stand up out of their wheelchair, my God, end of the world, how could they possibly be standing up out of their wheelchair? They also make a lot of people in wheelchairs villains. Yes. They make them bad guys. Mm. Sneaky bad guys. Like I was watching Monk. (laughs) I know. I know I'm an old person. But I was watching (laughs) Monk and there was this guy they were interviewing like, did you commit this crime? And he was like, no, I can't. I'm in a wheelchair. I couldn't possibly have committed any crime. And they were like, he's right. He's in a wheelchair. He could not possibly have committed this crime. And then later he gets up out of the wheelchair and runs away. And you're like, okay, (laughs) I don't know how I feel about this. Another harmful example of that is in the M. Night Shyamalan movie Unbreakable and the sequel class. The one with Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson. Mm -hmm. Samuel Jackson plays a guy who has brittle bone disease. And so he's in a wheelchair because actually he's not in a wheelchair at the beginning of the movie, but he has an accident halfway through and then he's in a wheelchair for the rest of the movie. Mm. And then, sorry to spoil it for anyone, but at the end of the movie, it's revealed that he's the big bad guy and he's like the cause of all the accidents and terrible things that happen throughout the movie. So for the majority of this movie, you're actually sympathetic towards him and you're like, oh, he's in this terrible situation and oh, it's nice that someone's reaching out to him and supporting him. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, no, he was the villain he all was along. The villain. <laughs> And there's not the moment where he gets out the wheelchair and walks and uh, he's been faking his disability. His disability is real, but since he's disabled, you never suspected him as a villain. Right. I feel like that just comes up just like all the time. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about how your disability is represented on TV or in movies? Specifically dwarfism? Yeah. It's gotten a lot better. Right. When I was younger, when I was a kid, it was represented terribly. Mm -hmm. We've talked about Jackass on the show before. Yes. It's hard to say it was the detrimental because I don't know his real name and I don't even remember his stage name. Okay, I do know his real name. I looked it up. What is his real name? His real name is Jason Acuna. So Jason was consenting to everything they did and in a weird way it was almost supportive because they didn't do a lot of shit to him because he was a little person. They just did a lot of shit to him and he was a little person. <laughs> yeah. 
But the way it was viewed by everyone else was more the former, that they did a lot of shit to him because he was a little person. So in a weird way, I kind of support the people on the show because they were very supportive of him. They worked with him. But the effect it had on the way little people were viewed in society was not good. And so when I was younger, little people representation in media was a lot more like that. Right. And different shades of that. But it's gotten better. And I would say these days, it's pretty good. Speaking of these days, there are a couple of situations going on right now regarding movies not casting actual little people from little people roles. Mm -hmm. And I would like to discuss it with you. So let's start with the new Willy Wonka starring Timothy Chalamet and Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa. (laughs) Oh my God. Please talk about Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa. Please give me your thoughts. Okay. I'll preface this by saying I am oddly intrigued by this new Willy Wonka simply because I like the story of Willy Wonka. Andy and I actually talked about this specific example in private. What I will say about this is that I don't feel that Oompa Loompas need to necessarily be played by little people because to begin with, they are mythical made up creatures. And in the book, they are never described as being people with dwarfism or even people. They're described as people, but like small, they're not described as necessarily human beings, more of just like a humanoid. Right. And I believe that in the book, they were stolen from Africa. Yes, they are, which is problematic in itself. (laughs) So I don't say that they need to be played by little people, but the argument that I will make for this is that in this new version, it is stated and shown that it is supposed to be a pre to the version with Gene Wilder. Oh, okay. The Oompa Loompas in that version were played by little people. And Hugh Grant's Oompa Loompa in the trailer is clearly modeled off of that version because he has the orange skin, the green hair. He's wearing a similar costume. He does a whole flute thing and Mm -hmm. sings and dances just like they did. And so to say that you are making a prequel and using the exact character model... Yeah. Of a character that was played by little people, mm-hmm. but suddenly saying, oh no, now they're CGI'd and played by Hugh Grant. <laughs> it's weird, for one. <laughs> it would be one thing if they just like made a CGI Oompa Loompa that didn't have any particular facial features, but no, they made a CGI'd <laughs> Hugh Grant. It is fully Hugh Grant. That is 100% Hugh Grant, just small and orange. <laughs> yes. And it's actually kind of terrifying. It is weird. I don't like it. But to do that... To take an actor that is not a little person and to say we are going to CGI him into a little person, that I have a problem with. How do you feel about the new pictures from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? (laughs) Tell me, how do you feel about the Seven Dwarves? Because they're like... That one's really tricky because the Seven Dwarves is weird to start with. The thing that's weird about this one is that their solution is like, we're going to make seven people of various... I think they say various races. Right. Various ethnicities, uh, sizes, and shapes, I think is the way they described it. So they're like, we're trying to not be problematic by making it more diverse. (laughs) That'll solve it. But that wasn't the problem. (laughs) The diversity. was not the problem. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's kind of weird to like solve a problem with a bigger problem. <laughs> I feel weird about Snow White and the Seven Doors to begin with. That was a weird form of re- 
representation. It was a bit harmful to little people to begin with because I didn't experience this personally, but I've spoken to other little people who Snow White and the Seven Doors was the source of their bullying Aww. when they were younger. Like, yeah. they would have other kids sing hi-ho to them. They would have them say, like, oh, which one are you? And Ugh. stuff like that. And Gross. so Snow White and the Seven Doors is a problematic source to begin with. I don't even like this and, story, honestly. Yeah. As an adult, I'm like, this whole thing is not my vibe at all. Also, in case you don't realize, Snow White is like 11. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> And so the whole thing is weird. The whole idea like, oh, she's the fairest of the land and that's what makes her valuable. Yes. And then you're like, she's an 11-year-old child. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like this this older woman hates her for being beautiful and becomes a yeah. terrible witch. <laughs> Vindictive and jealous and tries to kill her. And the only solution is for a man to kiss her while she's sleeping. Yep. What? It is never said that the dwarves are attracted to her, but it is heavily implied. <laughs> Doesn't she, like, clean their house? And, yes, like... she does. They're all clearly attracted to her, and they are all clearly old-ass <laughs> men. <laughs> and, like, it's like, but it's okay because they're small. <laughs> so it's, it's... Yeah, it's okay because they're small. <laughs> yeah. God, forget Snow White forever. Let's... <laughs> Why are we making this movie at all? But, yes, that's my feelings on it. I love it. Thank you for, for sharing. <laughs> this leads me into my next endeavor, which is a game, actually. Okay. I'm going to have you scale of 1 to 5. Would you rather do 1 to 5 or 1 to 10? Let's do 1 to 10. Just All right. to give me a little more leeway. Scale of 1 to 10. How much do you like or dislike these representations of little people or dwarfs? Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. We're going to start with an easy one. Peter Dinklage as Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones. Ooh, 10 is I do like it and 1 is I don't. Yeah, 1 is garbage, 10 is okay. spectacular. Um, I'll give it a 7 because it is pretty great, but there are some problems. Yeah, is it his <laughs> behavior that's the problem? No, it's not his behavior that's the problem because, in, in fact, the fact that like his behavior is so bad, it's like, oh, he's still a terrible person. <laughs> so that's actually good, but it's the way he's treated sometimes. Like, it's some of the trauma that he goes through that is clearly connected with the fact that he is yeah. a little person. That's what I'll give you a seven. Okay, we love a seven. Let's go with the whole race of dwarves in the Lord of the Rings. How do you feel about that? Okay. That's a big one. This is a big one, and this is one that I could talk about for hours, and I <laughs> argue with people quite often, and especially other little people, because the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien is one of my favorite things. Right. I say things because it's just one of my favorite things. Yeah. It's not one of my favorite movies. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> And dwarves in Tolkien literature are stated to be different. They're not just smaller versions of men. Right. They are like a entire different race. The way they are described and the way they are represented is not like people with dwarfism. They're just a more compact version of a man, basically. I feel that their representation, for one, I will disagree with anyone that says they need to be played by little people in the movies because it's a different situation. It's a different thing, yeah. And two, there are comments and jokes made about them. Like, there's the whole thing about tossing Gimli, right. which is problematic. Yes. Okay. Don't get me wrong. And then there's also some jokes about him not being able to run very fast or things like that. But then to, on the other side of it, there's a lot of things that like people do question him. And mm -hmm. then he's immediately defended. And he's defended by other people. And he's defended by himself. Never once does he get down on himself. He's right. always just like, I am Gimli. I am fucking awesome. <laughs> 
And like often his attitude is, I am here to drink milk and kick ass and I'm all out of milk. That is like his mode for most of the movies. Phenomenal. (laughs) I think the only disparaging remark he makes about himself once is when they are chasing the Yurikai and he says that they are built to be sprinters, not long distance runners. And that is about the only disparaging remark he makes about himself. For those reasons, I feel it's really good representation, actually. Right. And I still feel it's difficult to categorize it. So would you not even, like, consider that representation of little people? Because it's, like, a whole other thing. Because if that's so... I would argue that it's not. Then you don't have to rate it. We can move (laughs) right on. Okay, the next one is Peter Dinklage (laughs) in the Christmas classic Elf. (laughs) Let's talk about Elf. Three feels right for this one because his whole thing is all about him being small. That whole thing is not great. No, it's not great. It, it's a low point in an otherwise very great good movie. movie. And then you come to that and you're like, oh, this sucks. So mm-hmm. you're going to give that a three? I'll give that a three. Let's talk about the goblins who run the banks in Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so... Talk about intersectionality. (laughs) Let's talk (laughs) Just so you know, we're recording back-to-back episodes today, and we just recorded the episode on intersectionality. (laughs) If you haven't listened to it, you should. (laughs) This kind of thing is on our minds. The goblins in Harry Potter are problematic for a long list of reasons, (laughs) including anti-Semitism. Yeah, I, I don't know. I... I'll also give it a three. And the reason it gets a three is because I actually really like Warwick Davis and I've met him and he's awesome. You've met him? I have. He is so cool. Uh, So he is a good dude. He earns them a point or two, but that is the only reason that you get a three. Gotcha. This is my last one. We're going to do Mini Me from Austin Powers. You know, and Fat Bastard says, I'm going to eat your baby. Mm -hmm. You know, Mini Me. How do you feel about that? Okay, this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to give him a four. Okay. And the reason he gets a four is because everyone else treats him like shit. Mm -hmm. But his clone, Dr. Evil, because he's, in case you don't realize, the premise is that Mini-Me is a clone of Dr. Evil. I can't remember exactly why, but there's some reason that he ended up being small and not like a full-size clone. Right. But everyone else throughout the movies treats him like shit. But Dr. Evil is actually (laughs) super nice to him the entire time. It's just like... Mm-mm. You don't get to be mean to my mini me. That old deal, it's kind of nice to see. So, like, <laughs> I'll give it a four. And then later on, I think Austin Powers is nice to him. But that's after a long line of really shitty stuff. Yeah. So, yes. I can't give it more. I even feel weird giving it a four, especially since I gave a couple of the other ones a three. But the fact that there is a character that is actually very supportive of him and very mad about other people being mean to him bumps it up a little. <laughs> I'll take it. I will take it. Okay, so are there any other little people in pop culture or media that you think were particularly terribly represented or very well represented that you can think of off the top of your head? I can't remember his character's name. The actor's name is Marty Kleba, and he played the little person pirate in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh. I will say that he is a pretty good representation because it's never brought up that much in any of the Pirates movies that he's a little person. And when you first meet him, there is a sort of joke where all Jack's new crew is standing in the line and Jack is going down the line and talking to them and then he looks straight over his head and then he looks down. And then the camera pans down. But that's about the only joke that's made and then the entire rest of the time it's like I said it's not even really mentioned that he's a little person. He's never used for some kind of gag 
like he very easily and I say this because I've seen it happen with so many other things he very easily could have been shot out of a cannon at some point oh god and he never was oh god and so just the fact that that didn't happen is kind of like yay nice <laughs> um, I would say he's a pretty good representation yeah. simply because it is not mentioned great that's a great example there's a problem with the representation of people with epilepsy in the media. This is a thing. Magical epilepsy. If someone is connected to magic or they can see the future or they have premonitions or like, you know, any kind of that happens all the time. All the time. To the point where I'll see someone and they'll start to have a seizure on on TV and I'll be like, oh, get it. That's great. Wonderful. And then I'll think, okay, so what magical power have you just unlocked for yourself and the people around you? It is so prevalent. Barney and I watched a show just a few years back now is called Messiah. And it was about like, what if Jesus showed up today? (laughs) It was pretty cool. But there was this one girl. One day she's out walking and she falls to the ground with a seizure. Parents are like, are you okay? Oh, what's wrong with you? You're broken. And then she wakes up and is like... I've seen the Lord. Or like some dumb shit like that. It just stuck with me. That was the first time I really saw magical epilepsy and for what it was. And then Avatar, The Shape of Water just came out a little bit ago. Oh, I totally forgot about that one. Yes. So she connects with the nature spirit. basically Avatar God. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And then she like has a seizure and they're like, oh my God, she had a seizure. He then says, oh, she's got to have epilepsy. It's totally normal to have epilepsy. She has seizures when blah, 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 blah. I'm like, she had one seizure. You cannot say. So many people. I saw a stat and I can't remember it. I'm sorry. So many people in their lives, I think it was like one out of a hundred, will have some kind of a seizure at some point. They happen when you get fevers. They happen if you get food poisoning. Like there's all different kinds of ways that your body can do that. Head injuries. If someone has one seizure, one, you can't be like, "Mm, I'm a guy who's not a doctor and I'm going to say this person has epilepsy. I'm like, that's not how it works. There are so many adults who had to see this script and never bothered to look up the fact that like that is not the term. You can say she has a seizure, but she's only had one. Then mm-hmm. that doesn't count. You're misusing a serious term for an actual medical condition. And it's so problematic because the person that's saying she has epilepsy is a human and he's labeled a scientist. They never say what he is. He's just a scientist. He is a human and he's like, no, your daughter just had a seizure and she has epilepsy. You can't let her do whatever it was that she did. I Mm -hmm. can't remember what it was that she did. But they said you can't let her do that again. Ever again. And then all the Navi, the aliens are just like, no, she is a child of God. (laughs) We need to let her do this again. (laughs) And then it's like an argument of like epilepsy versus religion and like whether or not people with epilepsy are actually religious figures is basically what this movie implies. God. Magical epilepsy, man. It'll show up. You keep your eyes open. I promise you, you will see it again. It it pops up. There was some good representation of epilepsy that I saw. Like really great representation in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Old. Did you ever see Old? No. Old was great. And at one point they're like eating lunch at this place. And there's like a few couples eating lunch at this little restaurant. And a woman falls to the ground and has like a, a convulsive seizure. And then her husband is there and is like, she's fine. It's okay. We're just gonna move this chair out the way and then when she's done she gets up and she's like makes some kind of joke about it and she's all fucked up right because like that happens after you have a seizure you're just kind of you're a little wonky Mm -hmm. so she was a little wonky but she made a joke about it and moved on with her life and everyone moved on and it was really really like beautiful and great and it just 
I think it brought tears to my eyes in the theater. And then later in the movie, spoiler alert, she does seize to death, which (laughs) I didn't see coming and it was upsetting. And so I'm not sure if it's like using disability for like shock or using it to make a- Yeah, to make a point about death. I don't know if it made me sad because it was such a horrible thing to witness and so close to my own self, but it was really good representation before that. I appreciated that. I appreciated M. Night Shyamalan taking a person with a disability seriously and not making it. Isn't it sad? Isn't it so sad? Earlier I had mentioned how there was another M. Night Shyamalan movie and even though the twist is not the best because right. they make the disabled person the bad guy, the representation of what he goes through is actually represented pretty well. It brings attention to a disability that's not often spoken of, which is brittle bone disease. Yeah. They talk about how careful he has to be and how painful it is when things go wrong for him and stuff like that. So the representation is actually pretty great until that moment. Until the bad guy reveal. So M. Night Shyamalan, stop miss. using <laughs> them for dramatic effect, but keep representing them well. Yes. You, you know how to do it. Just Tempest. don't take it that extra step. You can do this, M. Night. You can do this. Speaking of bad guys, there's this recurring theme in movies, very specifically, mm-hmm. of if you're disfigured, you're evil. <laughs> like this whole, oh no, this person has a face deformity or they're missing a hand. They must be evil. It's a representation of like their own character, like Phantom of the Opera, right? He's yep. evil because he was bad looking. So he became an evil killer, man. And their disfiguration is usually so so minor. It's like they <laughs> yes. have like a scar yes. on their face and it's just like they're hideous. Oh, they're a they're monster. They're the bad guy. They are ostracized by society. So even Scar from Lion King. Yes. You don't think about it. He's got a scar on his face and he's all like thin and lanky and so it's like, oh yeah, duh, he's evil. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, look at the scar on his eye. Must be an evil dude. And you like get that as a kid. You like internalize that. And, and like even for the character himself, like he was the son of the king. He was next in line for the throne after his brother, until his brother had a son. Right. That's what I think it is. He's perfectly fine, but then he had an accident at some point that gave him a scar. And then from that point out, he was just a bad guy. He was just yeah, the bad guy. That's... And like, he was a morally good character until he got scarred. And then he was just like, nope, villainy from here on. I, I have another perfect <laughs> example of what you just described. And that would be Two-Face from Batman. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know, there's this guy, he's Harvey Dent, he's like a district attorney, he's a good guy, handsome dude, living a great life, and then he's like horribly disfigured and half of his face is like burnt off with acid or something, depending on the adaptation. It's and, usually acid. And then he goes crazy and becomes evil, immediately mentally unstable, and can't handle the change in his appearance and literally becomes an evil <laughs> villain bad guy just because of his face. I know it's not quite that simple, but it's also not not quite that simple. No, and like in the comics too, it's stated repeatedly, Batman actually considers retiring because Harvey Dent is such a good guy. He's like, he is the hero that this city actually needs. And then he becomes disfigured and he becomes one of Batman's greatest villains. And it's ridiculous. That is absurd. Which Christopher Nolan in The Dark Knight modifies and makes better. Because the reason 
Harvey Dent's downfall happens, he ends up getting half his face burned, not by acid, it catches fire. But it's not his disfigurement, it's because his fiance dies in the same accident that causes that. Right. And so it's never about like his disfigurement, it's about the fact that he lost the love of his life. Like emotional trauma. Yeah. And so like Christopher Nolan made it better. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Then that's great. We love that. You know who didn't make it better? The entire James Bond franchise. The entire franchise. Like I haven't seen up to the last movie. Okay. In the last movie, there were not one, not two, but three bad guys (laughs) with like facial disfigurements. And you know what? I don't even know if that's the right term, but that's the one I saw on the internet. Somebody can correct me if they would like to. I will happily accept it. But like, it's a huge thing in the history of James Bond to have disabled people in different varieties. Like so many characters, so many bad guys across the like 20 James Bond movies or whatever are like disfigured or disabled. And that's how you know they're evil. Mm. You can tell just by looking at them. You're like, oh, that guy's got a limp and a cane evil. Oh, that guy's got a scar? Evil. That guy's missing a hand? That guy has to be evil. Must be the evil that took his hand away. And there's also, like... It's one of the Pierce Bronson ones. The villain is not disfigured, but he has a disability. He's not able to experience pain because like, he doesn't have a nerve. He has some disorder that causes his nerves not to work, mm-hmm. basically. That sounds incredibly dangerous and uh, difficult to live with. Mm-hmm. And he is the villain. Oh, and evil. like... <laughs> The fact that he is disabled is treated as like, that makes him even more dangerous. Since he can't experience pain, he has no fear. (laughs) It's like, okay. (laughs) So yeah, so it's not just disfigurement, it is disability as a whole. They're the bad guy. (laughs) Do you think that disabled actors should play disabled characters? I know, right? I think they should if a studio is willing to make accommodations for them. Mm -hmm. A lot of the reason that disabled actors do not get in movies and are not more prevalent is Mm -hmm. not because there aren't this talented disabled actors. Right. It is because film sets and movie sets and even live theater are often not accommodating to them. They're just like, oh, we'll just throw in a non-disabled actor rather than make the adjustments. Yeah. I never even thought about it that way. But that makes perfect sense. Like, they could... It would just be harder on them. It would slow down the process. So it's just easier to get a non-disabled actor. That makes perfect sense. To use a recent example, there was that movie that Sia, the musical artist, made. Sia. Sia, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Uh, It focuses on a young woman that's on the autism spectrum. Rather than using an autistic actress, she used that young woman she collaborates Mm -hmm. with the dancer yeah when people questioned her on that her response was oh well i did a lot of research and i spoke with this group i can't remember the name of the group but it's a group that in the autism community they're like don't talk to these people Mm -hmm. they think they talk for us they don't talk for us don't speak to these people right and that's the group that she talked to that she did her research with and then she also said we also tried with the autistic actress we brought her on set and she was just too overwhelmed she couldn't do it And then, so rather than saying, so the problem was with our set, so we changed the set so it would be more comfortable with her. We were just like, oh no, we got rid of her and we brought in someone neurotypical because because that was the adjustment that needed to be made. That is foul. (laughs) 
And so she's claiming to make a movie that represents autistic people and that tells the story of an autistic person. But then she admits that her film set was too overwhelming for a person with <gasps> autism. Dang. Good knowledge. <laughs> That's a good story. There's one last point about disability in media. And we've talked about it. We've talked around it, but we've never mentioned it directly. Okay. And it's one of my least favorite things of representation of disability in media. It is what is known as the able-bodied daydream. You'll see it. There are so many movies that focus on people with disabilities where at some point, typically near the end, the character with a disability will daydream that they don't have their disability. Oh my god. Glee. Like in, in Theory of Everything, the movie about Stephen Hawking. Yes. Near the end, when he is much more affected by his disability, there is a scene where he daydreams where he walks, he gets up and he walks out of his wheelchair. He walks perfectly fine, walks up to the stage, and I believe he makes a speech. <laughs> and then it cuts back to him in the wheelchair looking a little sad that it was just a daydream. And Stephen Hawking himself has gone on record and talked about how his disability never hindered him mm-hmm. and how he never wished that he hadn't become disabled. He never says stuff like, I think of all the things I could have done if I never had got my disability. He never said anything like that. He is one of the biggest proponents of like, look at what this guy did with his disability and with his difficulties. We're not pining after these lives that we don't have. Mm -hmm. We're just people existing maybe a little bit differently than what the standard human existence is like. We're not like, oh my god, if only... No, we're literally just living our lives. We're not completely stalled as human beings. And we don't sit around dreaming like, if only... (laughs) We can't. We have to live our lives. We're people. Exactly. Okay, last thing. I'm going to tell you two sketches that were actually put on television. One by Mad TV and one by SNL. And you have to tell me if it's funny. Okay. Okay, I've got two. Let's start with the first one. It's a Seth Green sketch where he is a man in a wheelchair. And he comes into an office and is going to do something. And he has to use his wheelchair to get him around. It's like an automatic. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, what is it called? Power chair. Power chair, yeah. yeah. He then spends the rest of the sketch not being able to control the power chair. <laughs> and slamming into everything in the room. <laughs> all the chairs, all the desks, the bookshelves. Just Seth Green tearing stuff up in this room. That's a joke. Is it funny? Uh, I probably would have laughed if I saw it. I'm not going to lie. But it's not funny because like, for people who are in that situation, if their power chair ever malfunctioned in that way, it would be absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And it would not be a joke yeah. whatsoever. And so to take that and make it into a joke is not good. So right. I will say no, but I will admit that I probably would have laughed at it if I had seen it. If a disabled person made that sketch, it would be the funniest fucking thing. Yes. <laughs> it would be so funny. But because Seth Green is not a wheelchair mm-hmm. user, I agree. Not funny, but it would have been. Or even if the sketch was written by someone disabled. Yes. But Seth Green still played the character. Still okay. Okay, next we have SNL. It's an episode of Weekend Update. And they have the governor of New York, David Patterson, come on to do his like segment. This is a blind man, legally blind man. They slide him in on a chair and he just keeps sliding past the other person because he can't see. And then they pull him back and he proceeds to make jokes about how he cannot see where he is and he never knows where he is and he never knows who he's talking to. Is it funny? 
No. No, it's not funny. No. And then there is that other one with the politician that has an eye patch. Pete Davidson played him, I think. Or Pete Davidson made a joke about him and then people got in an uproar and he had to apologize for it. Good. Which is good. I do find it interesting that that was where people drew the line, but then the sketch happened and it was perfectly okay. <laughs> and this was like years ago. It was like nine years ago. But I don't think it was funny then either. Yeah. And people were like laughing and they thought, man, it's funny. I'm like, this is not funny. This is weak and dumb. Also, never make the argument. But back then it was funny. No, back then people just were more willing to laugh at it. It was not more funny. It was just more accepted. Yes. I think that's a good way to wrap up this episode. <laughs> I thought that went well. JD, do you want to take us home? Okay. This has been Talk a Mile in Our Shoes. I am so happy you joined us again today. I hope you learned something. I hope you start looking at media a bit differently. Also start recognizing those magic epilepsy moments <laughs> or the non-disabled daydreams because they are everywhere. They're there. And they are awful every single time. And so when you do see them, hopefully you're a little bit more bugged by them this time. <laughs> and hopefully you speak up a little bit more. Because if we all speak up about it a little bit more, it'll stop happening. So thank you for joining us today. And see you next time. Bye. Take the stairs in case of fire. Well, that was season one. I'd say we had a pretty good time. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you'd like to keep up on what's coming up next, you can follow Blackout Theater on all social media or go to blackouttheater.com. Okay, bye guys. Goodbye.